The passage that I'll be preaching from this morning is uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy, uh, and we'll be looking at chapter 1 of that passage, starting with verse 3. This is what it says. I'm grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation, and may God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. So this is the first uh, of sermon in a sermon series that we're calling No Fear November. During the month of November, we're going to be talking about fear and how it works within our lives and how fear keeps us sometimes from living into the five things that we promise as United Methodists to do in order to grow closer to our Savior. And the first is prayer and then presence and gifts and service and witness. But today I just want to talk simply about fear. So, we're going to spend some time this morning uh, talking a little bit about kind of fun types of fear, and then we're going to get into some deeper things. So, when I was in third grade, I was in Cub Scouts. And anybody, anybody else ever been in Cub Scouts? I was only in Cub Scouts for a little while because my older brother told me that I needed to get out by the time I got into sixth grade, and for some reason I listened to him, and I shouldn't have. He was wrong on that one. But anyway... So I was a Cub Scout, and uh, it was during the Cold War. Some of you may remember the Cold War, and this is true. This will tell you a little bit about how weird I was as a kid. I really pushed my Cub Scout troop to be the best Cub Scout troop because I was confident that there were Russian Cub Scouts in Russia, and we had to be better than the Russian Cub Scouts. And so, like, I bought into the thing, man, us against Russia, all the way down to, like, we're going to be the best Cub Scouts, better than the Russian ones. So anyway... They had this thing in third grade with my Cub Scout troop called Lad and Dad Day. And at Lad and Dad Day, you went with your dad up to Camp Wahinape, up in the Sacramento Mountains. And my dad and I went up there, and it was a great time. And one afternoon, my dad and a friend of mine's dad, uh, my friend's name was Ryan Walterscheid, and his dad's name was Ray. And my dad and Ray were sitting and talking, and Ryan and I were goofing off. But I was listening to them talk, and they started talking about spiders and spiders biting people, and in particular, brown recluse spiders. It was the first time I'd ever heard of one. And then a brown recluse spider, if it bit you, it would like eat your flesh away and cause like a, I just imagine this deep cavity of flesh in your leg or wherever it bit you. And I created this crazy, scary story in my head about brown recluse spiders, and they're out to get us. And so I had a hard time sleeping that night in the tent, and it developed, and I'm not making light of phobias because I know they're real, but I got, I think at times in my life, I've been pretty close to having real arachnophobia, the fear of spiders, to the point of it would be, it would get irrational, uh, sometimes. Like, for example, one time, I would, I was, when I was a youth pastor, I was at Sacramento church camp, uh, grown man, I was a grown man, that's a big part of this story, and I was laying in that bed, and it was like 1.30 in the morning, 
And I started thinking, they say that you eat like 500 billion trillion spiders in a year. When's the last time they cleaned this room? What if a spider crawls into my mouth and bites me and my flesh eats away from the inside out? And I couldn't sleep. And so I had to get up and go for a walk at like 2 in the morning in the mountains to clear my head so that I could sleep. Now, if that's not irrational, I don't know what is. And in early in mine and Michelle's marriage, we had a rule that I killed all the bugs and she killed the spiders. Because I was pretty certain that if I missed, that thing would hunt me down and get me. And so... Um, so I, I have this fear of spiders, and I love that Sean's trying to scare me even more by putting spiders up there. But I know sometimes um, some of us are, are afraid of clowns, right? Anybody read the Stephen King novel, It? And you uh, have dreams about Pennywise jumping up or whatever. So some of us have fear of clowns. Some of us are afraid of snakes, I think that's not irrational. That's probably a good thing to be afraid of. And if you're one of those people who uh, keep snakes in, in your house and you let them crawl on you, I'll pray for you. Um, <laughs> because I'm not sure that that's a good thing to be doing uh, anyway. What are some other things we're afraid of? The dark. Yeah, for whatever reason, the dark is scary. I think it's because we don't know what's out there. And sometimes I'm afraid of stubbing my toe or stepping on a Lego or something also. So... <laughs> What else? The dark, snakes, spiders, clowns? The unknown. What? The unknown. The unknown, yeah. What was that back there? What? Go, goat heads. Goat heads with bare feet. Definitely should be afraid of those things. Heights, yeah. So heights, have you ever watched a video online of somebody like doing something crazy up high and then all of a sudden you realize your palms are sweating and you're not even the one that's there? Or you look at that poster of the guys that are building the Empire State Building and they're like up there smoking cigarettes and playing cards and eating lunch and like it's just where people live, you know? Just on a metal beam up in the middle of the sky and it just, it just gets scary. So some of those things are rational, some of them are irrational and we can kind of laugh about all of them. But we also have fears that are pretty common to us that we don't want to laugh about. For example, anytime the Michelle and Elise and Emery get into the car to leave town, I think my whole life is in that car. And I don't know what would happen if I lost that part of my life. My friend Josh Corey, who is a pastor down in El Paso, he and I were part of a, uh, a colloquium group together while we were provisional elders in northwest Texas. And one day, we were just talking about our ministries, and I said, you know, it's not really that I'm afraid of failing. And he said, but it's a, you're afraid of being seen as a failure. I think that's a real fear for us, right? We don't typically have a fear of being a failure it's what other people will think of us if we're a failure. I think that basically there are three kinds of fear that we have. There's the fear of what might happen to us. So that's where it comes into like snakes, tornadoes, um, having a hard conversation with someone that you don't want to have. What's going to happen if I have these, these things in my life? What The fear of what's out of our own control, right? We have that fear, and that's a normal kind of thing for us to fear. 
There's also the fear that we do something and it's going to cause something to happen to us. So what if you're in an abusive relationship and you're going to get out of it and so you get all of the papers put together to, to get the divorce done and you're afraid. What are you afraid of? You're afraid of what might happen in those moments because of the decision you're making, right? Or the fear that you haven't taken care of your body over the years and as you age and get older, what are you going to hear from the doctor? That's a real fear that we have in our lives and, and, and that's an understandable thing. And then there's the fear of what other people will think. So I said, I'm not afraid of failure, but I am afraid of being seen as a failure, That's not about the thing. That's about what you all will think if I fail. And I think those are pretty common things. I think all of us can relate and say, yeah, one of those three things, all of those three things, you may currently be feeling about something. And I would just say this. This is what I would encourage us to do. When you feel fear, allow yourself to feel it. The emotions that God has created us with are good. They're just fine. Notice that Paul doesn't say it's a sin to have fear in your life. What Paul is talking about is letting that fear control you. And so how do you overcome the fear? Well, first off, you have to recognize that you're afraid. You have to really do some thinking to think about what it is that you're afraid of. So the way that I think, now I'm, I'm still trying to learn this, like I don't have it figured out completely. I'm no expert on this. But I think what we ought to do is ask ourselves, worst case scenario. If worst case scenario happens, can I handle it? So if I go to the doctor and I get a diagnosis that I do not want to hear at all, can I handle it? Probably. Right? Most of us can probably handle that. If you lose your job, you can probably handle that. You probably have handled that before. If you check, if you look into your checking account and you find out that you're overdrawn, you can handle that. Most of us probably have had to do that a few times in our lives, some of us more than others. If your marriage ends, that's a little harder, but most likely... You can handle it. You know people who have. If someone that you love dies, that's really hard. We know people who handle it, but we don't want to have to handle that, right? Fear can completely paralyze us. When I see a spider... I have to think to myself, kill it. Walk over there and kill it. Or else I'll just ignore it and go the other way and hope it doesn't find me later. (laughs) But when Michelle and the girls leave, it could paralyze me. I could do nothing but sit and worry about them until I hear from them and then worry about them until they get back home. I could... I could try to control the situation and say, no, you can't go because I can't go with you. And and it's such a terrifying thing. But what about how it functions in our faith? How does fear hold us back in our faith? So if you think about the heroes of Scripture, they had things to fear. So Noah, what was it that Noah had to fear? Here's, Here's his story in a nutshell. 
It had never rained. Scripture tells us that rain was something unknown to people at the time. And God tells Noah that water is going to fall from the sky and it's going to flood the entire earth. The known earth to Noah at the time was going to be completely flooded. And you need to build this gigantic boat that can hold a bunch of animals in it. And when you start to do it, uh, well, just do it, Noah. And Noah is thinking like, wait a second, what? Water is going to come from the sky and I'm supposed to build a boat? that put animals in, people are going to think I'm crazy. So that's the third fear. What are people going to think about me? Noah had to face that fear and walk through it to be able to understand that God is with him. What about Peter? Peter got out of a boat and walked on water. Now that's crazy, right? We think about that like, Okay, scientifically, how does that happen? Because displacement of water and the size of your feet, like maybe he was wearing floaties. What's going on there? But the truth of the story is this. Water in the ancient Near East represented the abyss. Deep water represented the abyss. And the abyss was the unknown darkness, the underworld, the place that nobody wanted to be. You remember the story of the demoniac and Jesus casts the demons out and pushes the demons into some swine, into some pigs, and the pigs run off of a cliff and fall into the abyss. They're gone forever. So it's nighttime. We have the fear of the dark. There's water, sharks, or whatever. It's not that kind of sea, though. But it's deep, and it's dark, and it represents the abyss. And Jesus says to Peter, get out of the boat and come here. He says it to all of them, actually. And Peter is the only one that is able to face his fear and step out onto the water and walk for a little ways. He eventually started to sink, but he did it. He got out and started walking on top of water over the abyss. Those are crazy kind of stories, right? But you know, you know of stories where fear is overcome because of someone's faith. Stuart had to face the fear uh, the other day of seeing someone and sitting with someone and talking with someone that he didn't really want to. I don't know why Stuart didn't want to other than it was a weird relationship at some point. But it wasn't comfortable. We have this idea, especially, I think, um, as Americans, that life should be comfortable. You know that on on the hierarchy of spiritual development, comfort's not on it. Never, never is it like God will make you comfortable. The more you know God and the more you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the more comfortable you will be in life. No, it's actually like, hey, guess what? Pick up your cross and follow me. Those who love me will be challenged. Jesus doesn't say pray for those who persecute you if life's going to be comfortable if you're a follower of him. So what's the worst case scenario that you can think of in your life? Can you handle it? I don't know. I don't know if I can handle it. But here is what I think I know. I think I know that I would be able to trust in some form or fashion that God is with me. But I also know this. There have been times in my life 
where I can't sense the presence of God. Where I can't hear the voice of Jesus and I don't know that the Holy Spirit is with me. That happens in my life and I know I'm not the only one. We call that the spiritual desert. After Jesus was baptized, what happened? The Spirit led him out into the desert and he was challenged there. And he felt alone. When Jesus is on the cross, he says, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself felt alone sometimes. It's going to happen. When we come out of the desert, we can look back and see the growth that happened while we were there. And we can see that God was with us sometimes. But the truth of it is this. It takes faith to believe that we are not alone in the midst of the worst things we could imagine. In the midst of the worst fear we have, we are not alone and it takes faith to believe that. But here's the thing about faith. My favorite theologian is named Paul Tillich. And Paul Tillich said this. That it is not doubt that is a lack of faith, but it's certainty. Doubt is not the lack of faith. Certainty is the lack of faith. Two weeks ago after I preached, we were hanging out in here, and, and um, one of the youth said to me, you, you'll never get stumped. You can make up a story about anything, which is probably true. I can make up a bunch of stories. And I said, well, I don't know. I said... Challenge me something. He goes, this chair. It was actually the chair right there by Sarah is where we were standing. And, and I said, okay, the chair. And I said, uh, I'm going to stand right here. I said to him, I said, I, I have no faith that this chair is going to hold me when I stand on it. None at all. And he goes, well, it'll hold you. And I said, but I have no faith in it because I'm absolutely certain that it will hold me. So I stood on the chair. I am 100% certain before I ever stood on it that it was going to hold me. It took no faith at all for me to stand on this chair. I've done, I did it last night. I did it two weeks ago. I did it this morning. I'm doing it now. I knew that it would hold me. But faith is what? Believing in what we can't see and what we can't explain and what we can't measure. I could see this. I could explain it. My experience told me it would hold me, and so I stood on it, and it took no faith. But if the worst possible thing I could imagine in my life happened, I don't know. I don't know. Because there have been times in my life where bad things are happening, and I don't know where God is in the midst of that. But here's what I have experienced. In the worst things that I can imagine. When I look back on it, God may not be in me reading Scripture. God may not be in me singing a song. God may not be in me saying a prayer. I may not be able to sense God that way. But the way that I can sense God is in the belief of my loved ones, my friends and my relatives, my people, my communities that I have around me, their faith, their belief in what I can't see and what I can't smell and what I can't touch and what I can't hear, their faith in that buoys me up so I don't sink completely. Together, we have nothing to fear. Individually, yes. 
That's why when I say to us every Sunday, let's tell one another what it is we believe, it's because for real people, things happen in our lives that we need to know. I need to know that you can believe when I can't. And you need to know that I can believe when you can't. Because those things will happen. Those times are coming. They may be in your life right now. But we cannot let fear paralyze us. Because what was it that Paul said? God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. The spirit we have been given is the spirit of God. The spirit of love, the spirit of power, and the spirit of self-discipline, the courage to step and keep going and face our fears. This week, your homework assignment is this. Feel your fear. Don't hide from it. Don't look the other way. Don't try to act like it doesn't exist. When you feel it, acknowledge it. Say it. Say, I am afraid of, and then name the thing you're afraid of. And then ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen in this midst of fear? And if it happens, can I handle it? And I bet you can. But if you can't, we can. Together we can. That's the love of God working through the body of Christ. We're not alone. We live in God's world who has created and is creating. Who came in Jesus, the Word made flesh to reconcile and make new. Who works in us and others. who gives us a spirit of power and love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.